Your life is worthy. Your life is absolutely worthy. And your life is worth saving for. That's the reason why Jesus came to this earth. I hope that we see ourselves as how God sees us. Rather than how other people see us and how we see ourselves. It is really important that we see how God sees us. Our life was damaged. We had a damaged life. And sin came in because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve in the garden. But Christ came to repair and restore the damaged life because your life is worth saving absolutely. So we want to talk about today life worth saving for. Let me take you back to the garden. And some of you that are new to the faith or may not understand the Christian story, this is the Garden of Eden when the creation happened. Now God told Adam and Eve not to eat the fruit from the tree of good, the knowledge of good and evil. That was the only commandment that God gave not to do. What happened was, they thought that they could become like God. The serpent came and said, you can become like God if you eat this fruit. Uh, But God had said that if you eat this fruit, you will surely die. You will surely die. But even Adam listened to the serpent. And in their heart, pride came in. And their heart welled up and said, Whoa, we can become God. And they ate the fruit. And they realized that they were not God. So you following me? Are you following me right? Now, this is it. You know, the first human emotion. The first human emotion after they ate the fruit. What was it? Fear. Instead of realizing that they can become God, the first human emotion was fear. They were afraid. Since then, fear has been with us. Fear cripples our lives. You're not doing things in your life because you're afraid of what other people think about you, what other people may say. And you do a lot of things. Also with fear of approval. This fear is everywhere. Even this season, this Christmas season, there is fear. You have fear whether your family will accept you, whether your Christmas cookie will taste good, right? Whether your family is going to say about your cooking. There's just a lot of fear. Will they like my gifts? I'm just talking about daily basic things. The fear that reigns and controls our lives. Fear is everywhere, in the company, in the government, in civil government. There is fear everywhere. If, you're a, uh, if, you, go to, if you go to an immigration office, uh, you will also know fear. I was there in San Francisco. And as I walk in, 
to the uh, immigration office, there are lots of people from everywhere. From different parts of the world, they are all there. And it's hard to see a smile on their face in that room. They're all waiting for the judge. They're all with their lawyers, and the lawyers are prepping and talking. I just look around. Nobody is uh, joyful to be there. It's like, oh, it's great to be here to appear before the judge. I've been looking for this forward for No, no, they're not. Um, so I was with this guy, one of our members. And uh, he went in there more than one and a half hour. And he came out not happy. The church is not happy. On the way home, uh, he said, the prosecutor gave me a hard time. Uh, so what happened? Uh, he's, he, she asked me, um, why do you follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Right. And he, he answered to the prosecutor, because I have peace. It gives me peace to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And the prosecutor said, no, no, no. Uh, More than who is the father of Jesus? Who is the mother of Jesus? And this is a new believer. And he said, well, Jesus has has no earthly father. Jesus has no mother. Right? Uh, No, no, no. There is a mother and father. Give me the name of the mother and the father. He He has no mother. He has no father. I mean, he didn't know about, he, probably he was nervous. He didn't know about Joseph and Mary. He's thinking about Jesus as God. He is God. He doesn't need a father. He doesn't need a mother. He is God himself. And the prosecutor says, no, give me the name. Right? And he came to me and said, does God have a father? You know, does God have a mother? I said, no, he, doesn't. he is God. But they were asking me the name of the father. and the, Oh, yeah, Joseph and Mary. I didn't know that, right? And say, oh, you didn't know that. Uh, uh, but, but I follow Jesus because he gives me peace. Isn't that why Christ came? That he is God. Right? You met a, uh, I met some people that have just recently started that company. What are they hoping for? They're hoping for that the company will succeed. The capital that they have invested will not be wasted. And they are looking for, you know, traffic or calls or clients and sitting and waiting with a little bit of fear also that the company may crash. It may not take off. Different kind of fear. So fear came in because people realized that you cannot become God. That people realize that they are not God. So I want to look at the the necessity of Jesus coming in to the world as a sinless Savior. The necessity of Jesus to be born in this world as a sinless Savior. To save us. And how God communicated and demonstrated this necessity. And expressed it through the coming of His Son. That he had to be born here. Jesus had to be born to come and save us and repair our damaged life. So let's look at the word sacrifice. 
because uh, we're talking about Christ giving himself to all of us. So the word sacrifice is kurban, kurban in Hebrew. Now, if you are, uh, are, if you speak Arabic, it's also kurban. If you speak Sanskrit or Hindi, it's also kurban, right? Kurban is, it's the same word. It's a sacrifice. What is the meaning of uh, kurban? Sacrifice. It means that uh, um, something brought near to the altar. Okay? Something is brought near to the altar. That is the meaning of sacrifice. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives life for the sheep. I have come. When Jesus said, I have come, he is brought near to the altar. He has come nearer to the altar. Why? So that we can get closer to God. Why does he do this? It's because we have lost our status with God. We have lost our standing with God. We are no longer close to God. We have been separated. God has driven out Adam and Eve from the garden. Outside of the presence of God. It doesn't mean that God was not with them. But the intimacy, the fellowship has been damaged. It has been broken. So in order to to bring near to God, in order to bring you near to God, there had to be an action that pleases the Lord. And that action happened in Bethlehem. At the garden, there was some sort of a separation. But at Bethlehem, it was we were brought near to God because of the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? So then what is the implication of this? That I have come. So I can bring near... I can bring you near to God. What's the implication? It's elevation. God elevates you from the low position that you have. And He elevates you to the presence of God. Now when you read Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. What's the first line there? I have raised. Since you have been raised with Christ. That means since you have been elevated with Christ. Who is seated at the right hand of God. Then you reign with Christ. You have been elevated. The coming of Christ, I have come, elevates you to the rightful position that belongs to you. Because you, we lose that. We lost that because of our disobedience and sin. See? This is absolutely important. Now, why did he do this? Because your life is worth saving for. You are absolutely worthy for God to send his son to die for you. And the implication in our daily life today is that you know how important your standing is in the kingdom of God, that you have been elevated to impact the world, the people that are around you with the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have come. The necessity of Jesus to be born into the world. I have come. God can elevate you from your marriage. Struggles that you have in your marriage. God can elevate you from your depression, anxiety, personal struggles that you have. God can elevate you from your broken relationship 
God can elevate you from your mistakes, from the messes that you have made. It's for this reason that He came. It is for this reason that He came. So that He can elevate you from all those struggles, that they may have life. That they may have life. This is the necessity and the reality of Jesus living in the world. In God's plan, the necessity of Jesus, the necessity of Jesus to fulfill God's salvation plan, God's eternal plan includes a sinless Savior living in this world. A sinless Savior living in this world. Jesus had to come to the world to live in this world. I have talked to God a lot this week. Right? I have talked a lot to God this week. Because um, it is very important to me. People matter to me, and life is at stake, right? Life is at stake, so I prayed a lot. Plus, I had to work on two sermons this week, right? Okay? Uh, and this is what I have learned how to present your body as a living sacrifice so that others may have life, right? So in the past, I've been everywhere, every function of the church I go, I'm there all the time, and especially on Saturdays, and after a lot of activity, I come home, and I'm so tired, that physically exhausted, that I don't want to look at my outlines again, I don't want to look at my slides, whether there are some mistakes, and I get up Sunday morning here, and I come Wasted. I'm just like hungover from too many activities. Well, that doesn't benefit me spiritually, and that doesn't benefit the congregation here spiritually. So I've talked to my staff and said, um, especially on Saturdays, uh, you will not see me. It's not because I don't want to be there, but I need to prepare for Sunday worship. Right? And I tell that to my family too. Don't want to stay out late. You know, we, we need to be prepared for Sunday. We try not to go for dinner on Saturday nights so that we can get rested. Why? Because taking care of your physical body is very important. It's because most of the time we think about prayer and fasting and offering and tithes and giving. And then we don't take care of our body. Right? But we need to take care of our body. If you do not take care of your body, you can present your body as a living sacrifice. It is very hard to be active and alive when you have no energy, right? Well, then you are stressed, then you are anxious, then you are short and angry at your wife and children and the church members and everybody, okay? But Christ teaches us how to live on earth. How to live on earth. That they have, He came and lived a perfect life for us. How to balance our daily life. How to balance uh, our stress. How to relate with the enemies. How to relate with family members. How to relate with disciples. Right? He has come that we may have life. He is, he is the model for us. See? So if we can do that as Christ has done and lived here... And have this great, godly, Christ-like relationship with our enemy, our friends, strangers, disciples, 
close friends, then others will see the kingdom of God. So how are we doing with taking care of our body? Before we talk about prayer and fasting, we talk about tithes and offering. Because taking care of our body is like the list in our list. So present your body as a living sacrifice. That it may be acceptable. It may be an egg of acceptable worship to God that you can present before Him. More about sacrifice. Okay? So, more about sacrifice. Now, people go, I've been talking to God and say, God, why do you require animal sacrifice? Why do you want animal sacrifice? Why do you want animal to be killed before you? Well, the answer was, uh, I had no clue. I had no clue why God required animal sacrifice. Okay? Um, but then he said, well, but it's not about, but it took me to, but what is important is the attitude of the one going to the temple when he or she is going to sacrifice. Right? So, let's say we have made some mistakes, we have transgressed, broken the law of God, and then you are going to the temple. And you have chosen this unblemished lamb. And you go, oh, I'm going for a barbecue. This is going to be a great barbecue. Well, that would be the wrong way of going to a sacrifice, right? See, what God was revealing me to me was, when the one who is going to sacrifice is going to the temple, that person probably is having remorse about the things that he or she had done. And he is going, contemplating, meditating on, why did I do that? I should have never done that. I should have never spoken to my wife like that. I should not have never treated my kids like that. I, should not, I, should not, I, should, I shouldn't have treated my friends like that. Or I shouldn't have committed all you know, murder or adultery. And they went... Fully repentant. Repentance is important for sacrifice. That's what God was laying in my heart. So when they go with remorse and repentance, then what, that, what did God do? He repairs and He restores. So the person goes with remorse, sacrifice to God, something brought near to the altar. Then he go back with what? Rejoicing. See? Sacrifice turns remorse into rejoicing. Christ came for you and I that we will not continue to stay in the state of remorse, but live life with joy. I bring you good tidings of great joy. See? Joy was part of the design of our life. That is ours. That was lost. That's why He came. That's why He came to give you joy. You and I, joy. Sacrifice. Something brought near to the altar to elevate you. One. Now when you're elevated, what happens? You have a feeling of joy. You rejoice. Your elevation caused you to rejoice. 
You don't feel elevated. Oh, I'm so elevated. Right? I mean, when you're elevated, you're really elevated. There is joy in your heart. People see that. And He came for you because your life is worth saving for. The necessity and the reality of Jesus living in the world is elevation and joyfulness. The good shepherd gave his life for the sheep. The good shepherd gave his life for the sheep. Jesus had to be born and be sacrificed for the salvation of people. There was no other way. It's the salvation of people. Um... I want to talk about this gourmand a little bit here. Right? So some of you grew out of uh, Hebraic culture, Jewish culture. Uh, and some of you from Hindu uh, background. Some of you are from Muslim background. And there are other religions that we can go on and talk a lot. But I'll talk about these three major things today. So if, you're a, if you are a Muslim, this gourmand is also uh, expressed in zagat. Zagat is the, uh, the alms-giving. Uh, charity, sorry. It's the same, but charity is one of the five pillars of Islam. So what they do is, uh, in Islam, you are taught that when you have a lot of wealth, you purge your wealth by giving zagat, charity to the poor or to other people. In doing so, it purges your soul and cleanses your soul so that you can become a righteous person and stand before Allah, the God. Right? That is Gurban in Islam. Right? Now, uh, if you, my Hindu friends, and uh, uh, if you're watching online all over the world also, this is also your Gurban is that they give sacrifice so that they can free from the cycle of birth. Okay? You sacrifice because you want to be free from the cycle of birth so you can become enlightened. Nirvana. So you can receive moksha. Right? That is the teaching. Now, um, we use this all the time, right? Yeah. Karma bites you. You know? I mean, this is a very deep theological thing that you say every day. That's karma. That's karma. Right? But that is, the, that is what Hindu, Hinduism teaches. Do good works, good things will follow. Do bad things, bad things will follow. And karma will bite you. Okay? Now in the Jewish culture, in the Hebrew Bible, we bring sacrifice. People brought, brought sacrifice so that their transgression, their sins can be atoned. So the word meaning sacrifice is what? It's actually righteousness. Gurban is righteousness. You are made righteous by the sacrifice of the animal that has been offered by the priest in the temple before God. So God can forgive your sins. The meaning of all these meanings are a little different. Even though you do the same thing. In this religion... What is common is that everyone offers something. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it is Him 
that offers his life for you. You don't have to bring anything. You don't have to bring any sacrifice. You bring yourself and say, I've come near to you. I want to follow the path that you have chosen for us because the work you have done for us is enough for me, right? And the path that he had walked is the right path. And this is also what God said. Because you have humbled yourself. I have elevated you to the place of highest honor. And those who are raised with Christ, those who believe in the death, life, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, are elevated and to reign with Christ and no more sacrifice. That's the difference. That's the difference. Something brought near. Okay? So, what, what have we heard this morning? The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ elevates you from the position that you had lost and bring you up to the rightful place. You had remorse, pain, sadness, sorrow, and that is turned into rejoicing. You have turned my mourning into dancing. And in Revelation, you will know, finally at the end, there will be no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain. Those things will happen. And then salvation, wellness of our soul. This is why the child comes. The necessity of Jesus coming to be born, to be living, and to sacrifice for us. Okay. So that's the theological foundation of why we celebrate Christmas. Let's talk about the implication then. Okay, pastor, we have heard this many times. A little differently maybe, but we have heard it. Okay, so what? So what now? I want to leave you with three things. And may the Holy Spirit of God speak to you. Let the application come in your own. The Spirit give you your own application. The first one is that sacrifice for yourself. Okay? Sacrifice for yourself. How do we do that? One. You remember when uh, Daniel was taken as captive to Babylon? And he and his friends were provided this choicest food, king's food. And what did Daniel do? He said, Oh, eunuch, please give us vegetables only. Don't give us this pleasant food. And you see, in 10 days, what will happen? Well, we know the story that Daniel became one of the highest ranked Official, official in that in that land. That is sacrificing for yourself. The pleasantries of the world that the world offers to you, when you sacrifice not to do that, it pleases the heart of God and He elevates you to the position that He has created for you. So many of you are working in tech company or a health company or teaching, or social services, whatever. Imagine that you sacrifice for yourself things that may not please the Lord, or you sacrifice for yourself to do righteous things. What can happen? God can elevate you to the place that He has planned for you. Right? 
The same thing, the same thing with Joseph. He also sacrificed his freedom. When Potiphar's wife accused him falsely, he didn't say, oh yes, in order to save going to prison, he didn't admit to the false, false accusation. He said, no, I didn't do it. That was never my intention. I will never shame and embarrass God and also my master. What happened? Thrown into prison. He, but we know that the, the end of the story. He was, this, he was ranked highest only under the Pharaoh, right? In Egypt. That's how God elevated when you sacrifice for yourself. Okay? And the second thing, sacrifice for others. Let's do this story. Let's talk, we talk about sons, so let's talk about a mother. Um, Moses' mother, Jacobet. When Pharaoh ordered all the Israelite male boys to be killed, right, babies, what did uh, his mother do? Made a basket, take it down, float it down the Nile, and Pharaoh's daughter took care of Moses. What did she sacrifice? She sacrificed being close to her son. Being the mother that she can be. Because Miriam was sent later on to take care of Moses. In that sacrifice of being close, being intimate, being a mother that you should be, what, was, what happened? Well, Moses was the one that led Israelites free from Egypt into the promised land. Right? And sacrifice to God. So sacrifice for yourself, sacrifice for others, sacrifice to God. Let's, uh, let's go to uh, um, Jonah in chapter 3. Jonah said, okay, Nineveh, you, your city is going to be destroyed. What did the king do? I'm going to call a fast and prayer. Everyone, including the animals. And the cry of the animals, the pigs and the dogs included, right? And the kids, it got hurt. And he relented and did not destroy Nineveh. All this involves sacrifice for yourself, for others, and to God. And what are the purpose of these sacrifices? In all this sacrifice, there is one common thread that the people that are impacted are brought closer to God. Okay? Uh, Pharaoh declared, oh, your God is great. Darius, yes, your God is great. The king of Nineveh praised the Lord. They're all brought closer to God. So the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ as a baby being born should bring us all closer to God. And he wants us to be with God. So can you think about that this week? What can you sacrifice? What are you willing to sacrifice? The 31 days of prayer and fasting is not deprivation, but it is presentation of yourself living in the reality of the kingdom of God. 
Because you think about giving up food. Oh, I'm giving up this. Oh, I'm giving up. No, you're not giving up. You're, it's not a deprivation. It's a presentation of who you are in Christ. The one that's living with the power of resurrection within you. And when you present yourself what the reality of the kingdom of God is, then people will see how great God is and they will draw closer to God. I'm going to call the worship team to come up and get ready. I was praying for the church. Church, I've been praying. I've been praying so hard. Even more than other times. And this past week, I've been praying that God will move. The Spirit of the Lord will move. You know why? Because life is at stake. Your life is at stake. Our life is at stake. And we want the kingdom of God to come upon us here and now and later. And as I was praying, and I was praying and fasting, praying. And on Wednesday night, in my dream. See, your, father, <laughs> your pastor loves dreams and vision, right? And I was praying over the church, just like we are here. And I was praying over the church. And the song came to me. Right? And the song came to me. You know what that song is? Great are you, Lord. Great are you, Lord. Right? Oh, my goodness. And I, I, we were singing. And I was singing over. Right? How does the song go? It's like, a, a, all the hearts will sing. Our souls will cry. What else? Um, I, f- I forgot the... the oh. And all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. I've seen this over and over again on our congregation. And I woke up. And then a thought came to me. Oh, yes. Thank you, Lord. You want Santa Clara First Baptist Church to shine. So people can see that you're a great God. You have favor in the eye of God, Santa Clara First Baptist Church. You have found favor in the eye of God. You have found favor in the eye of God. And God wants you to shine so people will see that great is our God. Right? Isn't that amazing? I love you guys. I love you guys for your faithfulness. You've been faithful to God and it's not about how you see yourself. It's all about how God sees you. And your life is worth saving absolutely. Absolutely. Let's stand victorious. Let's stand victorious and praise. You give life. You give love.